there's no magic tricks here. You'll be pleased to hear. If you have your Bible, and you can turn with me please to, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, then we'll be putting the, the words up on the screen as we go uh, through this morning. Um, so you'll be able to follow along uh, there. So John chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the women standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we trust God will add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Throughout the summer this year, I was uh, speaking at a number of youth events and youth camps. And for my topic throughout the summer, I took the I Ams of Jesus Christ. And we spent uh, seven sessions with a number of different young people looking at the I Ams. It's a fantastic place to look in the Bible as we go through John's Gospel and we see all of these I am statements. You'll only find them uh, in John's Gospel. John uses these I am's to show who Jesus Christ is. John tells us at the end of his Gospel that he has written this so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why John has written these words. It's why he's written his whole book, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, I am a few chapters before, we read about Jesus saying that before Abraham was, I am. When John writes these I am statements, he's, uh, for the people who are reading it at the time, they're immediately thinking back to the person of Moses. And as Moses stands in the wilderness, and in front of the fiery furnace, he says to God, who will I, when God asks him to go to Egypt and to, to rescue the Israelites, he says, who will I say has sent them? And God says, tell them, I am has sent you. So these I am statements are very important and they tell us so much. When Jesus says, I am, he's saying, I am everything. The word am isn't particularly a great word to translate it. In fact, we don't have a really good English word to translate this, these two simple uh, letters, this, this am. When Jesus says, I am, he says, I am everything. I am the beginning. I'm forever. I'm it. And so when Jesus says that, we can, if we, believe, if we believe in Jesus, if we know him as our Savior and our Lord, we'll say, Amen. Jesus is it. He is everything. But to people who don't know Jesus, this is a horrific statement. Because Jesus, if Jesus is everything, what does that mean about us? What does that mean about you? 
It means you're not everything. In fact, it means you're nothing. And this is why people were so upset with Jesus' teaching, because he went about saying, I am, I'm it. I am the light of the world. If Jesus is the light of the world, what are we? We're the darkness. And without Jesus, we have nothing. We know nothing. We can see nothing. And when we get to this point in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8, the people are starting to catch on to this. And they're not happy with Jesus. For a time there was thousands and thousands of people following him. He had many more than the twelve disciples. But then he started to say things like, I am the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Those who uh, feed on my flesh, those who drink of my blood, they will know me. They will have everlasting life. They will never hunger. They will never thirst. And people are saying, this is hard. Do you hear what this guy is saying? And they don't want to be around him anymore. And his disciples start to leave and he's left with the faithful few. He's left with the twelve who stay with him because he has the words of eternal life. And the other people, the chief priests, the Pharisees, well they're not happy with him either. And they decide that they're going to try and trick him. They're going to try and get rid of him. And this is one of the ways that they try to do that. They're furious with everything that he said. And so they decide that he's going to trip him up. So early in the morning... Jesus is in the temple. The people are still coming to him and he's still teaching them. But the scribes and the Pharisees, well, they have a trick up their sleeve. They're going to try and get rid of this man, Jesus. So they bring this woman who has recently recently been caught in adultery. She's uh, had an affair. She's cheated on her husband. She's been caught. People have found her. And they're now bringing her to Jesus and placing her in the midst. And they say to Jesus, what are we going to do with this woman? She's been caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now they said these things to try and trip Jesus up. To try and catch him. If Jesus had said, just let her go. Forget about it. Then they'd say, this man doesn't respect the law of Moses. This man isn't a real Jew. This man shouldn't be, shouldn't be listened to. This man should be ignored. He's not a great teacher. And if Jesus said to her, no, she's guilty, we need to punish her. Do you know what Jesus would be expected to do? He'd be expected to throw the first stone. He'd be expected to kill this woman. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they come to Jesus and they think that these are the two options that they're laying down in front of them. Either he can deny the law of Moses or he can kill this woman. They can't see another outcome. But Jesus always has a better way. A way that we as humans can't possibly think. Jesus always knows the better way to go. And so when he, see, when he sees this woman in front of her. It's not clicking along here. Can you click for me, Joe? Is it frozen? When he sees this woman in front of him, he decides to do something else. So he gets down on his hands and his knees and he starts writing in the ground we read this in verse 6 Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground and they continued to ask him and he stood up and said to him let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her and then he goes down on the ground again and he's writing again in the dirt now what we don't know is we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt let me just move it along We don't know what he's writing here. Lots of people have tried to guess over the the last 2,000 years exactly what he's written. But in truth, we don't know. 
But it must have been something that changed these men's attitude. And so how could their attitude be changed? Well, perhaps he wrote something that convinced them that he was the I am, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Christ. But that's unlikely, because a few chapters later, in fact a few verses later, they're still arguing with him. They're still trying to kill him, and eventually they get their way. So their attitude about Jesus hasn't changed. So perhaps it's their attitude towards the woman that's changed. Well, how could Jesus have done that? What could he possibly have written on the ground? Again, we don't know. I'm speculating at this point. I'm not saying this is what Jesus said. But it had to be something that changed their their attitude about this woman and their attitude about themselves as well. Perhaps what Jesus wrote on the ground was the thing that was in these men's heart that they didn't want anyone else to know. The sin that they had committed, the shame that was in their life that they wanted no one else to know about. We all have these things. We all have the things that if the people around about us knew that's what we've thought, that's what we've done, if they knew about the darkest places in our hearts, we would be ashamed. Perhaps what Jesus wrote down on this, on this dirt was murderer, thief, <coughs> adulterer. And as the men saw these things that were being written down, perhaps they were convicted about their own, their own heart and they left. Because the truth is, there's none of us who are righteous. There's none of us who stand here perfect. It doesn't matter who stands at this pulpit every week. They're not perfect men. They all have sin. They are not the light of the world. I don't stand here to tell you that I am it. I tell you, I stand here and say I am nothing. And Jesus is everything. Jesus stood and he started to write. He writes down again. And the men start to walk away. They start to leave. Starting with the oldest, perhaps the wiser. They start to leave. Then eventually everyone leaves leaving Jesus alone with this woman. And Jesus says to her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let me make one thing really clear. Jesus was not condoning this woman's sin. This woman had sinned. She'd made a terrible mistake. This sin, this way that she was living her life, it would keep her away from God. It had to be dealt with. But Jesus at this moment says, I do not condemn you. Go and make a change. Repent. Stop going the way that you're going and head back towards God. And it's the same thing that Jesus says to us today. As we recognise the sin in our life, that our deepest shames, and we wonder, we wonder if we'll get to heaven with these things that we're so ashamed of in our life. Of course we won't. Because God knows everything about us. This needs to be dealt with. The evil in our life, the sin in our life, it has to be dealt with. And it can only be dealt with by the one who is the light of the world. Jesus says to this woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we follow him, we don't have to worry about the darkness in our life. Because he is the light that shines. It is through him that we can have light. It's through him that we can have life. It's through him that we can have love. 
And Jesus offers this to each and every one of us. These men came to Jesus thinking that they were perfect, but Jesus soon convinced them that they weren't. They thought that this woman was as bad as they could get, and soon Jesus convinced them, no, she was just the same as everyone else. A poor sinner needing to be saved. The men left Jesus. They left the woman. And Jesus says, follow me. It's the same thing that he's saying to us today. These sins in our life need to be dealt with. Let me tell you a story, if that's alright. Can anyone recognise this city here? New York. Okay, fantastic. This is Manhattan uh, in New York. And as you may know, Manhattan split up into a few different districts. This is one of them. Starts with an H. Has a famous basketball team. Does anyone know? Chris? Harlem. Exactly right. A few years ago in Harlem, there was uh, a project, an apartment block, which kept on getting phone calls. The police kept on receiving phone calls, sorry, about something going on in one of the apartment blocks. It was a strange noise that was being heard. But the police in Harlem were very busy and they didn't go and re- investigate this noise for quite some time. But eventually the number of phone calls that were coming in were so much that they had to go and see what this was about. So two police officers were sent to this apartment block and to go and find out what was going on in this apartment. So they knocked on the door and as soon as they knocked on the door they heard this sound and said to each other, this can't possibly be what I think it is. Did you hear that? That can't possibly be what we think it is. And they said, you want to go in? I said, I'm not going in. So they went back to the police station. They went into the, the janitor's closet or something like that and they got themselves a drill. Then they went back to this apartment and they put two holes into the door with this drill and they peered through. And when they peered through the door, they saw two bright orange eyes staring back at them. And they said, I'm definitely not going in there now. (laughs) They went back to the police station and said, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with this? There's there's no way that we can go into that front door. So they said, we'll need to get the SWAT team and we'll need to abseil down and go in through the window. And that's what they did. And when they did that, they saw this great big Bengal tiger living in this tiny, tiny apartment in Harlem. True story. There's a man called Anton Yates who took this tiger home in a shoebox. (laughs) Thought it was going to be the best pet ever. He was convinced that when he walked down the streets in Harlem with this Bengal tiger, everyone would think that he was the man. People have dogs, people have cats, I'm having a tiger. And so he took it home and he started to feed it. He started to feed it what, what you feed tigers, you know, chicken nuggets, chips, that kind, of, that kind of stuff. But eventually this tiger was getting bigger and bigger and wanted more and more food. In fact, the tiger got so big and so hungry that it started to take chunks out of this man, Anton Yates' arm. And Anton would be going down to the hospital every couple of weeks saying, my dog's bit me again. And the doctors are looking at these bite marks saying, that is some dog he has. With these huge jaws biting in. And Anton Yates' life became going out and getting enough food to keep this tiger happy. 
That's the only way that he could control it was to keep on feeding it. And his whole life was about going and feeding this tiger. And every morning he was waking up and he was stepping over this tiger trying to get out of the door. And he didn't once for a second think that this was madness. He thought this was normal. This was life. He, w- he was happy enough feeding this tiger. This is when it, sorry, this is when it came home. Uh, well, no, that would be a little, a little while later. But eventually it was in the shoebox and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I know he had to keep on feeding this tiger. You may think that's a, a, a strange story to tell you, but I don't think it is. This story, for me, perfectly demonstrates sin. It perfectly demonstrates sin in our life because sin starts off as something small and something tiny and something warm and fuzzy that we can take home in a shoebox and then it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger until our life turns into us feeding this sin and everything else around about us stops we we stop experiencing what we're born for what we're made for we stop experiencing life in favour of the sin but the sin is never satisfied We never experience joy through our sin because joy comes in one place and one place always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy only comes through Jesus Christ. We can't find it anywhere else. We only find joy through Jesus Christ. And we may think that we are happy in our sin, but the truth is we are not. The truth is our sin is happy in us. Our sin is what stops us from living this life. Anton Yates spent his whole life feeding this this tiger are you feeding your sin is your sin stopping you from leading your life is it stopping you from experiencing true life through Jesus Christ eventually if this Anton kept on living with that tiger one day the tiger was going to stand up and the tiger was going to eat him the tiger was was going to kill him that's the way that it was going to go and it's the same with our sin We feed it, we feed it, we feed it. It stops us from living our lives and in one day it destroys us. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin, the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have life, we can have light, we can have love through Jesus Christ. Let's watch this video together.
Let me share one more verse with you. From It's not from James, sorry. It's from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Perhaps as we're talking about these hard things that we deal with in our lives, this sin that stops us from living, you think it's just too much. I can't, I can't get rid of this. I can't deal with it. And you're right. Absolutely right. You can't. You can't deal with it. But Jesus can. Because Jesus, the Son of God, came from highest heaven to lowest earth. For 33 and a half years, he did no wrong. He didn't sin. He did nothing. He just lived a perfect life. And as a result of that perfect life, he was taken and he was beaten, he was bruised and he was killed. And his blood was shed. And that blood cleanses us from all sin. It's Jesus' blood that can make the difference. It's Jesus' sacrifice that will make the difference in your life. It's nothing that you will do, but it's who has done it for you. And it's you putting your faith and your trust in him. It's the blood of Jesus that will cleanse us from all sin. He shed his blood on that cross. Praise the Lord, that's not the end of it. Three days later, he rose from the dead. If he didn't, then we worship a man. But we don't worship a man, we worship the Christ. Son of God, who was raised from the dead. And today, sits at God's right hand side and intercedes on our behalf. And through his power and through his sacrifice, we can have new life today. We don't have to live in the darkness. We can live with the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had in your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can just come and just focus on your son. And we thank you, Lord, for how good and how great he is. Father, we realise, Lord, that we could spend our lives, we could, we, and we will spend eternity, just marvelling at his goodness and his grace and his mercy towards us. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you, Lord, that he has the power to change lives. Father, we pray, Lord, for the lives that need to be changed in this room. We pray, Lord, that they would come to you and they would know that your son's blood can cleanse them from all sin, that they would put their faith and their trust in him, that they would do it today, Father, that they would know that they're feeding their sin, Father, will just lead to death. We pray, Lord, that they will know the urgency of this call. And Father, I pray for the people in my life around about me who still live in the darkness, who still feed their sin. Father, reach out and save them. We realise, Lord, that there will be many here this morning who will be listening to this message and they'll be so thankful for what you have done for them, Father, but they'll so be so fearful for those in their life who are still lost. Father, reach out and save the people that are on our hearts. Reach out and save the people that you have called us to serve and called us to love. We pray for this community here in Madison, Lord. We pray, Lord, that um, they, we would see transformation here. We would see a spiritual awakening here. We would see people flooding this church and the churches around about, worshipping God, giving praise to your Son for all that he's done for them. We thank you for the time we've had this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.